Welcome back to the Indiscriminate News Network. I'm your host, Jason St. Clair. I have an interview today for you with Donald Brennan from Stafford, Virginia, November 18th, 2001. And this is a first hound account of the terrorist attack of September 11th on the Pentagon. Donald Brennan was a police officer and he gives it a, his account of what happened. There's some like, uh, you know, some... If you're if you're for the lighthearted there, be careful on this one. But I think it's a really important thing to share. This is part one of two. I'm definitely gonna put up number two. But here's the first part. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe. I appreciate it. And take care. Bye. And doing a project for Library of Congress, and I want to make sure that you're okay with that. If you could identify yourself. Okay, my name is uh, Don Brennan. And uh, I'm a police officer at the Pentagon, and I was in that position when the uh, plane crashed into the Pentagon. Okay, one sec. Okay, we're back on recording. Dad, just go ahead, and everything that comes to your mind, just tell us about September 11th. Okay, on September 11th, I was uh, I was working at the one of the entrances, and I had gone on break, and I was in the main cafeteria when I heard uh, two radio transmissions. The first transmission, it, what I heard, it, and I, I had to listen a little more intently because I was eating, and said, uh, some like, control, there's a plane heading toward the side of the Pentagon. And I immediately, you know, stopped what I was doing and, you know, really listened to the radio. And another radio call came in. What another police officer, he's very excited. He says, like, oh my God, control, a plane just hit the crash at the side of the building. And I, my first reaction is, I don't believe a plane has crashed at the side of the building. This is, but I didn't know what side. So I asked control, I says, where has the plane hit? And it was just so much chaos over the radio. And then I looked out the door of the cafeteria. I seen all these people running, I mean, running toward the concourse from the area where the plane, I, plane had hit. I had known the plane had crashed, but they did not know. They thought, I guess, it was a bomb exploded. They were sheer panic. Anyway, I opened the door, and people were just running. It was, it was just complete uh, chaos. People were running and screaming and pointing in the direction. So I, I had to run toward the crowd of people. They were all coming toward me. I was the only one going the other way because they were trying to get away from the the way the plane had hit. So while I was running down the hallway, someone grabbed me and says, come with me, officer, there's a man injured. And I remember he was a military guy and he was bleeding profusely from from his head. Uh, he either got, either got, either the impact of the concussion knocked him against the wall or knocked him down or he got hit with something. I wasn't sure. Uh, I went to give him some aid and People were practically almost almost ran over us, and, uh, and then someone else grabbed me and said, "Officer, you need to come with me. We need your radio. There's people trapped and there's flame inside of the building." So I said, "Well, I, I don't want to leave this. I don't want to. I don't want to leave this individual by himself." I said, "He's injured." I said, "So I. I like to think I'm not sure. I, I think I told two people, look, get him medical aid. Take him out to the courtyard." where there's air and there's medical people right now. But the first thing, and then it finally hit me, 
I stood there and looked around and I see these people coming out of the smoke. I seen people laying on the, on the floor that appear to be already dead to me. And the screaming and the, the sprinkler system and the everything just going off. And I, I just stood there for a second and, and finally realized the enormity. I says, what the heck do I do? There's all these people asking for help. They're saying, go down that hallway. They need you. They need you down there. And I'm saying, like, what do I, where do I go? And it was really like, uh, at that time, I, the first time in my, I think, police career, I really didn't know what to do. I, I, I just, uh, then it hit me, Don, you're, you, you are trained to save lives. And that's, and then finally the guy says, grabbing by the shoulder, he said, officer, officer, come with me, I need you. He says, I need, you have a radio. We have people trapped. And then it hit me, I says, people are trapped. This guy is getting aid. I need to get out to the people. So I remember I went downstairs to the first floor. Cores three and four is where the plane impacted on the other side of the building. Uh, when I got out to the uh, alleyway, we call it uh, basically uh, A&E Drive, that's when it hit me. That whole side of the building was on fire and it was a huge hole, which I found out later is where the cone impacted, the nose cone impacted the, in, into the wall of the building. And uh, there was flames shooting out of the hole, and the whole side of the building was on flames. What I didn't know at that time is right on the other side of that building is where the plane had crashed. I was that close. Uh, uh, there was military people. We were standing. Uh, they, I realized we were standing jet fuel and water, and I looked up and down. I noticed a part of the plane were all over the place. And I found out later there was, there was bodies as well. I didn't... I didn't look at that time because I was looking at giving the people that were alive. Uh, basically, I remember in your article you said Chief Jester, I did meet the chief, he was there. We we tried to organize a rescue party where there was people trapped in this, um, where the flaming hole was, right next to it was a doorway, smoke billowing out and people were in there trapped. There was like uh, Navy police, uh, myself, we had uh, Air Force, police, uh, military, we saw a lot of like 25, 30 people trying to rescue these people out of this uh, doorway. Uh, well, that went on for like 10 minutes and some people came out and, and then finally the, the whole side of the building fully engulfed and then someone yelled that we better get out of here because the windows are going to explode from the heat. Uh, uh, they, in fact, within five minutes, um, they did explode. Uh, fortunately, they exploded inward. Therefore, the glass stayed in and didn't go out. Otherwise, we would have been, we would probably would have shredded with glass. Uh, and then smoke, all five sides of the building, smoke started coming out the windows. And uh, I found out later that's, that's where most of the victims were. They were, uh, in that area, they were pretty well burnt. They were pretty well burnt. Um, so, Within a few minutes, the the entire alleyway became so dark, I couldn't even see the chief and I couldn't see anybody. And I heard people yelling, let's get out of here. And people were falling in the water and debris. And it turned to a complete mass, not a mass chaos. People were running, running different directions because they, could, they, could, they couldn't see where they were going. And the rescue effort for the people inside, basically, at that time, had to come to an end. While that was going on, 
the radio said that we got a report. It said all units inside the building, meaning all DPS units. Uh, orders from the FBI has confirmed another plane has been hijacked and is heading toward the Pentagon. And that's why I, I said, I looked at the chief or said to the chief, I says, uh, John, I can't believe this is happening. How can I know? He goes, I know, Don. He goes, I think we better get out because if another plane's coming toward the building, we don't know where it's going to head. We need to get out of here. So he took off. But I wasn't going to lead the people. So I got on the radio. I said, look, we need firefighters. And the radio, everybody was talking on the radio. I mean, it was like 15 different officers trying to talk. So it was it was kind of hard to break in. Finally, I finally got some airtime. And I said, look, I need six firefighters with air packs right now. And they said, well, the building's being evacuated. I said, I don't care about the building being evacuated. I want firefighters right now. I have people are not only burning, people are, are choking on smoke where I'm at right now. And I says, where I'm at is the side of the building of where the plane hit on the other side, and the building is fully engulfed. And there's flames coming out the window and out to the window and everything. So the firefighters showed up about, I think, 15, 20 minutes later. And at that time, I left. I, I left, and uh, what I did is I went out to the center court. And at that point, they had, uh, they had Nixon out there already been killed. They had people that were... Uh, burnt, uh, uh, being treated. They had doctors. They had fire department people. They had nurses. They were working. There's people literally stoned all over the place. They're on the grass. You know, I don't know who was helping, who was injured, or who was. I don't know. It was just complete chaos. Then it came over the radio that the the plane in question had just crossed the Potomac. Well, the Potomac is like a mile away from the Pentagon, and I and they said there's a plane heading toward the Pentagon. And I said, that's it, I'm getting out of here. So I really ran out through the tunnel and looked up on top of the hill and everybody had evacuated. All the fire department, the state police, and all the emergency personnel had, had evacuated the building. Literally, the building was still burning and people were trapped and they, they left because of the second plane. So I went out and joined them, I think about five or 10 minutes. And for some reason, I don't know where it came from, but all these doctors and firefighters and police are just standing. I says, what are we standing around for? I said, let's go back. Let's go into the building and get these people. I mean, what are we here for? And for, for what, it, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's like Moses uh, parting the Red Sea or whatever. I had almost 300 people follow me. I mean, they, they just, they, someone had to say something, you know, and I said, look, the people in there are dying. They're burning. I said, we're out here, we're out here watching. And what are we here for? And they, someone said, yeah, you're right, let's go. So we went to the, we went to the craft site, and that's what it hit me. I, that's when I finally saw the, uh, where the plane had hit. I had not seen it since. I had not seen it, because this the first time I got out of the building. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, the first thing I noticed is I didn't see any plane. But there was, parts of the plane was all over the heliport, which is the size of a a football field if you haven't seen it. Just the helipad is where the plane, where the helicopters take off and land. The plane had gone in right there, so debris was all over the entire helipad. And found out later there was body parts out there too. Uh, we didn't know that because they were among the debris and it was, it was just so a large of an area, we, we couldn't even 
you know, check the entire area. Um, time at that time is, I remember it was very hot. I remember a lot of police and firemen, off-duty DPS officers coming in. Um, I remember we all tried to approach the building, but the, the building was so infernal, the smoke and everything, we, we had to back off. We, uh, we couldn't get in. We wanted to go in, and, and the fire department wouldn't let us go in. And then I think about, I don't know, time-wise, I'm trying to think, about an hour losing everybody inside was uh, was gone. There was no more, there was no no more coming out. I re I recall that was a, that was kind of a a downer. Everybody was kind of depressed because we realized that no one was coming out of that building. Uh, whoever's in there now was basically dead, and there was there was no way we can get them out. And then they would burn until the bu the building was put out. And and that was hard, especially on the military, because they wanted to go in and get their own people. And um, we basically stood there, and uh, it got to the point we had to now do what you call crime. It became a crime scene now because we had now uh, we not only had a plane crash that would literally hit the building, we had a terrorist attack. We now had a crime scene, so we had to protect the crime scene, which means whatever was stored out in the parade field, it was our job as Pentagon police to keep people out, and, and that became a, a, a chore. We had to use state police and all the local police to basically stretch a line all the way across the parade field to keep people out. And uh, it was very hot, and there, there was no water. And someone said, look, we, firefighters need water. We need, we need Gatorade. We did. So the word went out for drinks, I mean, liquid. And basically, don't ask me, but people came from all over. I remember people just stopping. People just, you know, stopped on that road, got out, threw bags of ice in the middle of the thing. They threw Gatorade, water. Uh, Jennifer, I think in about an hour, we had like a four-foot hill of Gatorade. Anyway, all these people that heard about heard about the thought that, that the rescue people, and that means us and the firefighters would need. So they, they went ahead and uh, brought the stuff down. I couldn't believe it. We had like uh, a four-foot mountain of water and Gatorade and ice, which is great because we were out, we were dying out there in the heat. Between the heat from the building and the heat from the sun, we were all uh, totally exhausted. And basically we just, uh, when the firefighters, okay, so this, about 12.30, when the fire was out sufficiently, the firefighters decided to go in to see if there was anybody alive. And they went in, they donned their, their equipment, went in, and they came out, and basically they said that uh, what we've seen in there was uh, basically, uh, everyone there is burnt. You know, we, we, have, we haven't found no, no, no one alive, but everyone is practically burnt, you know, and they were kind of dejected when they came out. And uh, when they came out, they were burned up in their suits so we basically just threw water on them. I mean, we just threw water on them. We gave them Gatorade. We filled up cups of uh, ice and gave it to them and, and put them in the shade because these guys were exhausted. Some fighter fires actually had to be carried out by their comrades because they had collapsed inside. They said the temperature inside was almost 1,800 degrees. That's the heat, which 
without equipment, uh, even with equipment, uh, one of the firefighters says, uh, 20 minutes and that's it. You, 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 the heat would uh, asphyxiate you. So they came out. Uh, now we're getting in where we have all the highways closed down. Um, the FBI starts arriving and uh, they basically are trying to ascertain what's going on and they tell us we need to set up a, a, a perimeter, keep people out because we have too many people in the perimeter. We have, we don't know who's in the perimeter. Everybody but his brother is walking around the crash site, stepping on stuff and everything, and basically contaminating the crime scene. So then we had to try to form it in a line, and uh, we didn't have enough officers to do that, so we practically gave up. And we basically just walked toward the building uh, to watch, watch them fight in the fire, basically. And it was kind of depressing because there was doctors and nurses out there with gurneys and stretchers and triage, and they knew they wouldn't use it because they knew. Um... Now, back at where I was earlier, I found out later they had removed, they had found, uh, they had got some victims out uh, from where I, where I was at. I think they saved like 10, 15 people, and um, they also saved some people in the courtyard, too. And I also found out, I didn't know there was fatalities in, in the courtyard, people that had gotten hit with uh, airplane debris when they were standing out there, smoke, whatever. It came right over the building and hit them. And they got doused with jet fuel. And a lot of people came out, uh, some came out literally on fire. And uh, the fire department, you know, put them out and attended to them. And those people, I believe, died uh, that day or the next day. Um, now we're getting to uh, let's see. That's when I realized I had to call your mother uh, because I knew she worked. I knew she. I knew she was trying to trying to get a hold of me, trying to find out, and I knew the phones were probably all back, and no one can get through. So it seems like everyone out there had a cell phone, the FBI. Uh, so we were all trying to use our cell phones to call, you know. And eventually, I finally got through to your mother's answer machine. I had not known she had left for home and I left a message on the machine to tell her that uh, but she didn't get that I said I'm okay I'm assisting with the uh, rescue at the crash site and that it's it's unbelievable you know she didn't get that message because she went home and then I think you know I'm trying to remember Lana I think called Patty or you I, I don't know what happened exactly mm -hmm. somehow uh, you try to you were trying to you were trying to go over me too, and you couldn't. Yeah. So I think um, did you did, how, how did you finally find out? Did mom call you? Or? I got an email from mom around noon, and that but she didn't know I was okay. Right. The email was just that she was okay and Christy was okay. And but you didn't know about me. I didn't find yeah. out about you until about 1:30 that day when Lana called me and said mom called me and said you know, dad's going to be okay. So you did know, so you already knew a plane that hit the Pentagon. Yeah, but from like 9 in the morning till 1.30, I didn't know what happened to you. Okay, well, the plane hit at 8.48, and I was on the scene of, of the impact probably in two minutes. I was pretty quick. Uh, I ran, I literally ran uh, to the area because I knew, I knew there would be fatalities and there would be major, major injuries. Because we had, plan for a plane hitting the Pentagon several years ago. It was called a tabletop exercise where you actually, you actually, uh, you, have, you ever, have you ever done this before? It's a tabletop uh -huh. and you have the, 
you actually have you have the police cars, the fire engines, and you actually position them. And the plane parts, you you put them. You actually create a scenario, and then how you respond to it. And because of that, it was pretty well. Wherever the DPS, you got to remember there was DPS police officers outside on patrol in cars. They responded. We had unmarked detectives. We had canine people. There were a lot of people that were out and about in cars that immediately responded to code three, which means you get there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Some saw the plane literally come in over the cars and headed toward the building, and they, they knew it was going to crash. They didn't know at that time it was a terrorist hit. They, all they knew was a plane was off course and heading toward the building, and they knew it was going to be a major situation. Um, uh, I, I can't, uh, there's a lot of information I heard from other officers, but I can't just, I can't verify that because I, I can only say what I've done, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, 2, 3.30, we got the other ship and bases come, and come to work. Now we have almost, oh, probably 50, 75 DPS officers, so we're now able to uh, keep people away from the, from the scene, really. The media, the do-gooders, people that want to help the firefighters, people want to, whatever. We finally had to put up a perimeter, and we only let law enforcement and emergency people in. And we had state police, all the county, Fairfax County. I mean, um, at that time, there was eight different fire departments that arrived on the scene. Uh, law enforcement from all over the place came to assist us. So it was, we had enough police to literally seal off the area, which we did. We wouldn't let anybody in. And then, basically, they had the FBI it took about an hour and a half to do what we call a sweep. What they do is they get in a line and they walk from one area to the other and they pick up plane parts, debris. Then they go back again and pick up what's left and they do, they do three sweeps. Oh, wow. And then, uh, believe it or not, two days later we were still find airplane parts because uh, there was on a highway, they were thrown on top of roofs. I mean, people actually came came to the Pentagon and said, I found this, I found this underneath my car on the highway, whatever, so it, the plane, went, the parts of the plane went everywhere. You know, from my understanding, the plane came in, and this is not, this is not classified, I mean, this is, I think the media pretty well, pretty well knows this. The plane, when it came in, um, and this is, I didn't see it, but I've talked to enough officers to tell, say, when it came in, it hit a light pole, the light pole uh, uh, was uh, speared, speared into a taxi cab, practically killed the taxi cab driver, destroyed the taxi cab. Uh, it hit another light pole and dragged it 50 feet. By that time, half the, half the wing came off. So the plane started inverted toward the ground, which means the left wing started uh, uh, pointing toward the ground. And he, was, he lost, by this time, he's not losing altitude, he's losing speed. And so he went, when he went into the building, he went into an inverted, you know, like, you've seen the picture of the plane hitting the Twin Towers? Yeah. That's exactly the way they were trained to go into the building. And that's the way they entered the Pentagon. But he went in with one wing, one and a half wings. Uh, what was found out in the parade field was what was left of the uh, plane wing and what was left of the fuselage. The fuselage literally exploded and went outside inside the building. They found planes, parts of the plane everywhere, literally. In hallways, in stairwells, I mean, wherever. And 
they found plane parts like a half a mile away. So it was pretty, pretty devastating. Wow. Um, at that time, um, I, I, I thought about going back inside. I, I don't know why I didn't. But for whatever, I stayed out there because we basically had to protect the crime scene. It was our building, and it, it was our job to protect the crime scene. So I stayed out there to about 6, 6.15, and that's when they officially put the fire out. And that's when the fire department told DPS, quote, this is your building. If you guys want to go in, uh, you can go in. Be advised, you can be walking in a foot and a half of water, smoke, heat, whatever. There's no electricity, but you guys know the building better than we do, so if you want to go in, walk in the hallway, go ahead. So me and an officer, this first time I went in the building since I left, me and an officer walked into one of the one of the areas where a lot of people died uh, from burns. And basically we took a tour, you know, and um, but I don't want to get, make a long story short, uh, my trip through the, through the hallway to get to where my locker room was, I saw a lot of uh, body parts uh, floating in the water. Then it, then it hit me that, that the, the damage, the devastation was worse than I thought. See, at that time we had not known about uh, body, body parts. We had known about burnt bodies because the firefighters was telling us that. But I wasn't prepared for that. And then when I got to, I guess, one of the centers, I think I saw what was the remains of the, uh, this day, I don't know, it was the cockpit, the tail section, or whatever, but I saw remains of several bodies, um, parts laying in a hump, in a pile, and it was right next to where the hole was, where the where I, earlier I was, during the day, there was flames coming out of the hole. There was now uh, smoke coming out of the hole, you know, so. Where they came from, I, I have no idea. And basically, uh, uh, I got to my locker, got my stuff. The locker was full of smoke. Our locker room was full of smoke. The smoke had gone in. My understanding, the smoke went everywhere. It went to operations, it went, it went everywhere. The whole building was full of smoke. So I left there about 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I think I got home. And traffic was unbelievable. State police had roadblocks. There were people stopped along the highway uh, trying to watch. Uh, oh, and I, I might add, uh, they started removing the bodies uh, that night, um, basically out of the courtyard. Uh, and then and in the morning, they started taking them out to the other side. And from there, for that whole week, it just became basically uh, recovering bodies. Wow. And I was working the crash site uh, the next day and other days I worked somewhere else. And, but the 11th, basically, as I recall, that's, 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 what, that's what I remember. Um, so what else do you well, want to know? Well, how's that affected every day after September 11th? How does that affect your view on the well, world? Then? Well, let's put it this way. The first night, I had nightmares. Uh, nightmares of, of what I saw. Uh, nightmares of people burning, asking for help. Um, and I talked to other officers that they had nightmares, too. Uh, how, did it, how did it affect what? How does it affect your whole view on everything? I mean, it's pretty much 
Well, basically, it it, it hit me that if it wasn't for circumstances, I could have been right there when the plane came through. And for my talking to an NTSP investigator, the plane hit the building approximately 355 miles per hour, which is pretty fast. If you can imagine that. That's how fast the plane was moving. Even after they had taken off two flight poles, the half a wing is still impacted at 355 miles per hour. So it pretty well buried itself into the building. Um, I think what I take away from it is I, I wish I, I wish I had better equipment. I wish I had firefighting equipment. I wish I had smoke masks. Uh, if I had, I, I feel if I had the right equipment, I, I could have got more people out out of the building that were choking on smoke. Uh, it was so dark. There was no there was no power, and there was no light. You usually see a light at the end of the at the end of the um, corridor. You know where to go, but these poor people didn't didn't know where where out was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of them died just just trying to find a way out. I think they just died, <coughs> and we couldn't know where they were because we couldn't find them. We heard them, but we couldn't see them. And to me, it was frustrating. I couldn't I couldn't couldn't get to the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one lady I recall when I got to the area of where the plane hit, and I found a lady, she died three days later. She was burnt. They were carrying her from the area where the plane had actually hit. Um, and she died three days later. And I saw her. And she already looked, uh, she already looked dead to me when they were carrying her out. Uh, her clothes were burnt right off her body. You know. I remember pantyhose was really burnt, I think, burnt to her skin, I guess, you know, because it's nylon. If you have certain clothes, it, it sticks to the skin. So, um, the, the emotion is, is, is the guy that got hit, the first victim I saw, I wish I had, I wish I had personally, uh, taken him out and, and given him, you know, aid or did something for him. And not left them with somebody, you know. And uh, that bothered me until um, it bothered me for a week. And believe it or not, I didn't find out the second week because I worried about that guy. I wondered if, if, you know, was he left there? Did the smoke take him? Or, you know, what happened to him? And then that also said to me, um, I was right. I was right next to you with. I said, I, I don't know that. He said, yeah, there's a guy, he looked like he got, hit, he got hit in the head with something. I said, yeah. I said, what happened to him? He goes, two employees took him out to the uh, to the uh, center court to uh, one of the uh, medical people, and he was treated. So he, he, he survived. That made me feel good because I wondered, you know, you know, did I leave him to die? And, and, and what kind of police are for my... What kind of police officer am I to leave a guy that needs my help? And then I realized there was more people needing my help.